Welcome back to Software Social. This episode is sponsored by the website monitoring tool Odeer. Odeer does everything they can to help you avoid downtime like scheduled task monitoring, SSL certificate expiration notifications, and more. But downtime happens. When it does, it's how you communicate in times of crisis that make the difference. Odeer makes it easy to keep your customers up to date during critical times. You can sign up for a 10-day free trial with no credit card required at odeer.app. So, Michelle, do you have a... Hey, good morning. (laughs) Do you have a numbers update for us on your book? Um, I do. So, uh, my presale went live about a week and a half ago when our episode with Sean went live. (laughs) That was my deadline. Um, And I've sold 43 copies right now. Wow. Um, Yeah, which is kind of exciting. Um, It's not all people I know, which is exciting. That's (laughs) very exciting. I love how supportive people have been. Um, And it also, it makes me, it's just reassuring that people I don't know are buying it. Um, Yeah, so that, puts it right now just and this is just the raw you know number times $29 which is $1,247 that's amazing congratulations thank you and I got my first payout yesterday which after like taxes and everything else um was $912 wow which was kind of exciting um and Gives me a little bit of budget to work with, with like, you know, uh, hiring a proofreader and using some like layout tools. But, you know, so I was pulling these numbers and because, you know, everybody loves numbers and whatnot. And I was thinking about it. So. So I got this this message from someone um, yesterday who had started reading the book and it was actually someone I don't know. And um, if I can just kind of read what they what they said. Yes, they said, please. so I had a personal aha moment reading the distinction between sympathetic, empathetic, and solution-based responses. My sympathetic and solution-based responses are leaving no space for empathetic, something I need to address. I'm an engineer and an architect by trade, and I'm looking to do a better job interviewing the humans attached to our work. But I'm also thinking about your book from the sense that a better balance of empathy will help me be a better teammate as well. And like getting that was so moving for me because it made me think about how, you know, I'm not writing this book for the money. Like, yes, the book needs to make money because I've been working on it for four months now and have you know that's a lot of time I haven't spent working on Geocodio like I've been a pretty bad Geocodio employee the past couple of months (laughs) like full honesty right so like I have to like it has to have been you know worth my time but like I am not I'm not motivated by that like I am motivated by this by like you know like I have this like secret dream Global life. I mean, it's not a secret because I've like tweeted about it, but like whatever. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, Matias sometimes says to me, he's like, I knew you were thinking about something because you tweeted about it. Which is <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess I forgot to like verbalize that. Anyway, um, I have this dream that 
through the process of learning this for interviewing and, and like product development and marketing reasons, people will understand how to be more empathetic and use that in their daily lives. Like everyone has a capacity for empathy. Everybody can learn it. Not everybody is taught it or shown it, so they don't really learn it, but everyone has a capacity for it. And, but also like very few people, you know, put like, be more empathetic, like learn how to, learn how to use empathy, like on their to-do list every day. But they put, write a landing page, get more customers, build a feature, like, reply to all of those customers in intercom. Like those are the things that end up on a to-do list. And so I have this like kind of, I don't know, like naive dream that like people will read this and apply these skills to the things they're already doing, but in doing so, learn how to be more empathetic in their daily life or, you know, as a, as a team member or, or whatnot. And um, just getting this message really... It was so motivating, but also so soul nourishing because it really made me feel like like the book has done what I wanted it to do. Like this is what I set out to achieve. And like this message makes me feel like the book is a success regardless of how many copies it sells. Like, um, and so it was just like, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, a, a like a moment like it was it also sort of like if you're having this effect like you can like stop rearranging it like you know I feel like I've done a rewrite every week for like the past eight weeks um yeah time to time to ship the gosh darn thing that is wonderful so what I just heard you say is this book is secretly teaching us how to be better humans wrapped up in a book about customer interviews yes wrapped up in a book about which features you should prioritize and how to you know pick a pricing model based on what people's usage patterns are and like how to understand what people want and write better landing pages all that stuff they're already trying to do but then yeah there's there's this kind of bigger message like I feel like so much of good UX practice is good human being practice yeah um, and, and I mean, I, I really learned about empathy by doing interviews myself. So this, I mean, it's, it's, it's very personal for me in a way that like the book is, I don't, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very personal for me. And it's not just about showing empathy to other people. It's also about showing empathy to yourself too, which is just as important. So um, I have not read the book yet, unfortunately. Can you tell me briefly what the difference is between empathy and sympathy that that writer oh, wrote okay. into you? Because we talk about it a lot, but we've never defined it, really. Yeah, that's true. So empathy is when you, basically when you, when you try to understand the other person's context without judgment... And it doesn't mean that you agree with what they're saying. You're just trying to find the context behind what they're saying or what they're doing because sort of most of us basically, we assume that our, there's this assumption that our actions make sense from our perspective. That is right. to say, you wouldn't go out and do something if it didn't make sense to you. Like you maybe 
very few people might, but like for the most part, we have this underlying assumption that that the things that we do make sense to us. Okay. And so you're basically trying to find that internal context for why somebody does something. And then you reflect it back for them. So for example, if you came to me and started telling me about how like, I don't, I don't know, something you were struggling with. Like, let's say you felt like you were um, banging your head up against the keyboard all week on some like coding problem and it was really frustrating for you. An empathetic response to that would be, man, that sounds really hard and like you were working really hard on it and it was super frustrating for you. A sympathetic response would be, um, oh, I'm sorry you went through that. Huh. So a sympathetic response creates distance between the person who is speaking and the person who has aired something. And that might not be a complaint or a frustration. It could be like something positive, but it, cre- it creates distance. And sometimes it's called fake empathy. Like I feel like this is what you see in a lot of like really bad public figure celebrity apologies it's like i'm sorry that offended you it's like no that's wrong (laughs) like you like that's not that's not actually apologizing and then there's also kind of this other element that i feel like is this sort of like solution-based responses which comes from a place of caring and i think us as product builders i know me like we really fall into this is someone like if you you came to me with some some problem if i just said oh well have you tried this which I'm trying to solve your problem. I'm showing care, right? Like I wouldn't propose a solution to your problem if I didn't care about you and making that solution better. The problem is, is that it doesn't validate your experience and it doesn't acknowledge your experience. So while it comes from a good place, it's not empathetic because it doesn't say, wow, like that was really hard for you. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fake make you feel seen or heard and it could end up being through the course of a conversation you you end up explicitly asking me like do you have any advice for how I could do this like what should I try I feel like I've tried all these other things but an empathetic response starts with acknowledging what the other person has gone through okay and then also checking in with them of like do you do you want me to listen to you about this or or do you want me to help you brainstorm ideas like okay so, but I think that's, that's like one of those that really like, it took me a while to wrap my head around that because the other thing about a solution response, especially in the context of a customer interview or whatnot, is that um, you need all of the context behind, behind why someone does something and why they went through something in order to really build something that solves the problem for them in a way that they understand and they're capable of grokking, right? Because we need all of the context behind it, not just the functional context, but also sort of the emotional and, and social context of things um, in order to build a product that someone feels like is speaking to their experience and the problem they have. Does that make yeah. sense? It, it, it does. Um, it's, it feels like a subtle difference, though. Like when I try to understand your problem in your context, in your context, the sympathy for, versus the empathy, like, it feels very subtle to me. It it is subtle, but it like, um, I mean, it's it's subtle. You know, it's the difference between I'm sorry that was hard for you and that was hard for you. Like those are it's a subtle difference between them, but there is a huge difference between it, that and what someone would receive. 
Yeah. Right? Like, I can and see that. Yeah. Because when you say, I'm sorry that happened to you, it emphasizes that it didn't happen to me. Right. Okay. It, 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 it actually, like Brene Brown talks about this a lot. I'm sorry that happened to you. It it makes the other person feel more alone because it emphasizes that they are the only one who experienced that. Like it, it and it makes them feel isolated. Okay. And she has a great way of responding, uh, of sorry, of, of phrasing this. And I don't know if I'm doing it justice, um, but it basically it creates that distance and feeling alone and feeling like you're the only person who went through something is a really, really hard feeling, especially when you have just gone through something frustrating and it doesn't have to be a big thing it could just be you know the fact that I spent my week fighting with Grammarly like (laughs) (laughs) like that could be the problem we're discussing um and but if you said oh I'm sorry you went through that like it it reminds me that you didn't go through that huh okay and and it's like oh yeah that was like maybe it was just me like maybe I was doing something wrong like am I using it wrong like is like like you know it, it creates all of that doubt and feeling of sort of loneliness in it. And so tell me the empathetic response again. That sounds really hard. That sounds really hard. Okay, right. Like, so you're, you're not frustrating. You're like, trying not, not to create that distance where they're an individual isolated right. and you're over here. And it doesn't start out with that. I, right? Like oh. the, the sympathetic response doesn't start with, you know, I like, I'm sorry that offended you. Right? Okay. Versus the difference between like, that offended you. Like, because when you say it that way, you're sort of asking for elaboration. Right. Right. Versus I'm sorry I offended you just shuts it off. Wow. I say that all the time. I'm sorry X, Y, Z I said it all the time too. And then I started (laughs) learning about this stuff and I was like, "Ah, I've accidentally like been a jerk and I didn't even realize it. Like, (laughs) but so many of us speak this way and we learn the way we speak from the people around us. And if the people around you when you were learning to speak didn't speak empathetically, even if they're otherwise nice people, like then it would make sense why you speak this way and don't realize it. Interesting. Like it's totally normal to to not realize that what you have been saying is actually not empathetic. Like like it is a it, it is a learned skill for many people. I mean, the people who have it built in are the people whose, you know, parents really made it a focus when they when they had their kid like but for most of us it's kind of a oh, I guess I should stop saying that. Like I remember how at one point, like when I was in my early 20s, I was at a job and somebody was like, you know, you really shouldn't say well, actually, like, do you, I don't know if you realize how that's coming across. Like, I know you don't mean anything by it, but like, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, and I was like, oh, crap, I do that all the time. Okay. Like <laughs> mental note, like mental dictionary update. Stop. Uh like, so it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not a nice person or that you're not an empathetic person or that you're not, you don't have a capability for empathy. It just simply means that you haven't learned it and all of the various implications of it. And we can all okay. learn it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for, for <laughs> telling me about that. Like, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I find that, like, this whole thing, empathy and psychology, as I'm trying to, as I'm talking to people and trying to sell my product, I have found that. It really, and I already knew this, but like now I'm seeing it, it really makes a difference. Um, can I just tell you about this one issue, which I find so interesting? Yes. Okay. So the way my product works is you upload files to 
the cloud and then I provide you a dashboard where you can see all of those files. I have gotten several requests now from people to allow them to tag the files. Oh, yeah, like Drew asked for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been trying to figure out why people want to tag the files. He's not the only one who asked for it. Some Mm. other people have asked for it. The reason these people want to tag the files is because they want to be able to mass delete all of the files they've uploaded in a development environment. Mm. Why do they want to do that? From what I'm understanding, they want to do that so those files, like, because those aren't production files, they're not, like, cluttering up their dashboard. So when those people have asked me about this, I said, well, look, if you exceed your storage, because I don't have a mass delete function right now and I don't have that, I'll just give you more storage. But nobody likes that answer. It's like, Mm. and so I think it's like a mental psychological thing where they want, like, a nice, clean dashboard. I don't know. I just find this really interesting because I'm like... Storage is cheap. I'll give you more storage until I implement this. Um, but but it's like it's like as human beings, they really want like to segment stuff. I don't know. It's like mental. I, that that's kind of the way I've been I've been thinking about it. Like as human beings, they don't want files that they don't need on their dashboard, even if they don't have to pay for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm like it, I don't know. So so that's just kind of been an interesting one for me. I'm like, but you literally like. I'm not going to make you pay for those files. It's fine. They can just be there in outer space. Uh, But no one, yeah, that's an interesting one that keeps coming up. Yeah, it sounds like they, like that clutter is creating a certain like. Mental clutter or something. Psychological clutter. (laughs) And then there's also this element of wanting to like mentally, um, like to mentally separate things. Like. I'm sort of I'm reminded of one of my favorite um, economics papers called on, on mental accounting by Richard Thaler, which is basically on how people like they create different jobs for different bank accounts and investment accounts. And like, you know, for example, people might have one brokerage account that's um, just for like they have like fun money versus they have their serious 401k or in like. What, like some people have many different bank accounts for different one, you know, for different purposes, and it there's there's probably a broader term for this, but since I come from an econ background, that's what I think. Of. Mm-hmm. Um, but like people wanting to create these different mental categories, and basically like it's almost like they want to like sort of it, it, it's like mentally going to IKEA and buying one of those room divider shelves with all the different boxes you can slide boxes in, and like being able to look at it and see that everything is in all of its little different categories and is in its place and they know like you know which things are in which box and it looks all nice and organized from the outside yeah I am going to do it because I have found I use my own product for my clients and I have found I desire the same thing but I think Mm. you're absolutely right like from a purely practical perspective it doesn't matter but from like a human organizational mental box perspective, like it seems to make people happy. Yeah, like there's that functional perspective of it, but then there's the emotional perspective of feeling like everything is organized. And then I also wonder if there is a social element where like maybe they're afraid one of their coworkers will use a file that was only for development or because there's so many files and they're all in one list, someone will use the wrong file or like... I wonder if there's any any sort of elements around that going on. Yeah, um, could be. I didn't ask that. But, um, so 
so when someone asked you for that, what did you say back to them? Exactly. Well, the first time someone asked me, I said, that's a great idea. I'm totally going to do that. Okay, that's an understandable response. I know you're over response. there thinking like, have I taught you nothing, Colleen? You have taught no. me. That was before we were That was a starting podcast. point, and that's a perfectly understandable reaction to that. What, um, did you, what did you start saying after that? So the second request I got was via email. So I didn't really have the back and forth that I would have had when I'm talking to someone um, on the phone or on Slack. And so this person, I asked them kind of what their use case was. And I also told them in the email that they, you know, I wasn't going to charge them for development files. So if storage became a problem, we could work something out until I had the, you know, a bulk delete API set up. And this person was looking to segment files um, so they could do a mass delete of the development files. And they also brought up, they thought it would be great to be able to segment files like via model. Um, so you could have, here's all my avatar files over here. Here's all my resumes over here, which would be really cool. Mm. I mean, that I can totally see the value. Cause like and then, then in your admin, yeah. Then in your admin dashboard, you could easily filter um, based on, you know, what your tag was. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really not hard to do. I just haven't done it, but I do like, I do like that idea. And that to me makes a lot of sense um, because I think people really like, like we just talked about, like you like to have your stuff in the appropriate boxes. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard sometimes when somebody proposes an idea that we get the value of because we would use it ourselves. It can be really hard to say, can you walk me through how you would use that? Like, because their yeah, reasons may be is. different and we really we need all of those reasons because the reasons I would do something might be different than the reasons why somebody else would do something. But when we understand right. something, it feels very unnatural to ask for clarification even when we don't need it. <laughs> but it's so That's useful. That's exactly what it is. It feels so weird because I'm like, yeah, totally. That's a great freaking idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is odd. I sometimes feel like it's, I wonder if this comes from like conditioning in school where like, I feel like the kid who asks a lot of questions is, you know, sort of branded as annoying. I was definitely that kid in math class. Like, I just always seem to understand <laughs> it two weeks after the test. Um, and I wonder if it's like that fear that like, oh God, like, am I going to be the person who asks questions? And then we have this like sense that being the person who asks questions even one that might be sort of a quote-unquote like dumb question that's clarifying something get like like I wonder if there's kind of this built-in social conditioning around that that makes us not want to ask those clarification questions and we're like okay I think I can guess what they want so I'm just not going to ask further about that but but when we're building a product you need to be able to like look in all the different nooks and crannies of how they're thinking yeah Definitely. Um, that definitely is valuable to your point. You you might use it one way and they might want it for something totally different. Yeah. So I, I really do think like throughout the course of this podcast and since we've been spending a lot of time talking about customer interviews over the past several months that I've gotten way better at it because it's it's my instinct just to say, yeah, I totally agree because I do totally agree. So why <laughs> I, I think for me, it's not like 
I'm not, I don't, I'm not scared of asking clarifying questions. I think it's more like, I don't want to waste anyone more time. Mm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's not waste anyone's time and let's just go do it. Um, so I have, I do really think I've grown a lot in that, in that kind of sphere of pausing, slow down Colleen, cause not really good at slowing down and, you know, kind of dive into what they want and why they want it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been good. It can be kind of tough as a, like, I feel like we're both pretty enthusiastic and kind of like, like, have you ever been called bubbly? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I have been called bubbly too. Yeah. So like, I like feel like enthusiastic people want to be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm like, it's so, it's so counter <laughs> to like how I would interact with someone socially. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. So, so anyway, that was something I was thinking about that when you were talking all about, um, you know, empathy and, and, uh, sympathy and psychology is, is how much these kinds of factors play into product building. Yeah. And building an intuitive product that, that makes sense to people. Like, um, it's, it's really hard to build something that's intuitive because it requires understanding the user's mental model of how something works. And you can't understand their mental model unless you have, you know, really, you know, poked through every nook and cranny of how they think about it. Um, and also seeing what are the similarities at scale across many different customers. because You can't just build it for one particular person right like this I, I think this is if we want to do we want to do more definitions because now I'm excited to get into the definitions between human-centered design versus activity-centered design but if we are if we are feeling good on definitions today then <laughs> I, I don't know what those are yeah go okay. ahead so like you probably hear people talk about human-centered design right I mean, like, no, but okay. No? I okay. believe you. So, Not okay. My- <laughs> so, like, humans, I feel like this kind of came really into, into like, especially in, in, in tech in the past, like, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 years. Like, you, like, think about the human behind it. And, like, this is where a lot of, like, agile stories come from. It's like, as an administrator, I would like to be able to update the billing page whenever we get a new credit card. Like, like those kinds of stories that if you've worked in the corporate world, you have seen the as a so-and-so, like those kind of stories. And like creating personas and maybe there's like a picture of a person and there's their age and there's like, you know, like um, all of those kinds of things. That's very like human-centered designs. And you're designing for people and understanding what those people need. Then there's activity-centered design, which is designing for things that people might be trying to accomplish, but not for specific people, if that makes sense. So it's like, so if you're thinking, I just use an example of like a billing administrator, the human-centered design approach with a persona might be, you know, this is Susan and she lives in Iowa. She's been working in insurance for 20 years. She has a dog named Charlie. Like, she prefers to use her iPad on the weekends, but during the week she uses Windows. Like, it's like that kind of stuff. Activity-centered design would be like, when billing administrators are going through this process, they want to be able to... Um, you know, these are the different kinds of things they're thinking about. These are the different functions that they need to be able to do. Here are the different things they might be feeling. Like, do they want to be updating a credit card? Like, how does that make them feel? Like, is that 
is that enjoyable for them? Is that frustrating? Like, are there other people they're working with on this? Do they need to go get a P card from someone else? Like, what is this entire process they're going through that is independent of them as a specific person and independent of the product? And then how does the product help them get through that entire activity either easier, faster, or cheaper? Okay. I feel like I just dropped like... Of like that was a lot. A lot. I'm gonna have to re-listen to that one. But basically, <laughs> so like activity centered is kind of the approach that I take, and that's the the approach in the book is designing for the process that exists regardless of the person and regardless of the process. Okay. Of the product, sorry, I think I messed that up. <laughs> okay. So which one is so, better? Do you have all the well, answers, it's Michelle? Not really, Tell no. us. <laughs> <laughs> I am not gonna throw bombs in the design world here. <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, there's there's value in designing for specific people, right? Um, and 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 specific types of people, especially when you're talking about accessibility and whatnot. Um, but fundamentally, you know, like activity centered design is okay. What it what is the thing that someone's trying to accomplish? For example, five hundred years ago, you may have solved, you know, entertain me at home when I'm alone on a Saturday night with cards or dice right? And now you might solve it with Netflix. But that fundamental process that you're going through to not be bored when you're in your house on the weekend, like that process and that desire is relatively constant, which is the thing about activity-centered design approaches is that you're looking at a process that is consistent over time because you're speaking to sort of broader underlying goals and the types of products someone might use, the different functional and social and emotional things that might be important to them are different. But the overall process is the same. And so this is what I think about a lot when we're like thinking about the, the process that someone is going through and designing something that's intuitive for them and building that mental model is understanding, okay, why do they need to be able to tag things and why do they need to be able to mass delete these things and what is this overall thing they're trying to do? And it, it, it sounds like it's sort of to feel like all of their files are organized and they can find things when they want to and that desire to be organized is a relatively consistent desire. Yeah. I think... Um... One of the things, one of the phrases we use at work is to surprise and delight the user. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this falls into the surprise and delight category. Like it's not necessary, but it's delightful. You just use the phrase at work. Does that mean when you are working or? Oh, just when I'm, uh, just this company that I've been contracting for for a while. Okay. I like to use that phrase. Okay. Gotcha. I didn't so know if you'd suddenly gone off feels... and <laughs> gotten a full-time job without telling me. Well, I'll tell you if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> I may be considering that. That's like a whole other podcast yeah. episode. <laughs> I feel like we don't have enough time to we'll do that. We'll do that in a future episode. Colleen's life decisions. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this feature I feel like is delightful. And when we talk about like design, you know, in the context you were just saying, um, I think it, it does fit into the, the latter category. Yeah. And I can, I can understand how someone or you might even, or probably, I feel like if we had talked about this like six months or a year ago, 
the reaction kind of would be like, this feels like we're really splitting hairs over something that's super obvious. And why don't I just go build it? Which yeah. I think is a very understandable reaction. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem I'm having, and I know everyone in my position has this problem, it's just there's just not enough time to do all these things. Like one part of me wants to take like six months and just do all the things, right? And then the other part of me wants to to balance my life with building this business and um, is trying to be patient (laughs) with, uh, with my constraints as a human. So I know, you know, everyone has those that struggle everyone who's working and and trying to do this um but yeah I'd love to add all these things like I want to do all the things of course I do speaking of which building the business we started this episode with my numbers update do you want to give us a little numbers update before we go so I do want to tell a little story about this okay um (laughs) story time so someone who's kind of a prominent bootstrapper had a tweet the other day about how for his SaaS, he just implemented file uploading using some JavaScript library. Mm -hmm. And it took him like, I don't know, like a day. So not an insignificant amount of time, but not a huge amount of time. It's a long time if you're a developer to take all day. Yeah, that's a really long time. But I saw, so like I saw his tweet and I was like, ugh, like why didn't he use simple file upload? Like clearly my product is crap. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this happened at like 9 a.m., so then like later in the day, this just happened a couple days ago, I went to see if I had any new signups. And as you know, like I've been pretty flat for like two or three weeks now. Signups mm-hmm. have been pretty flat. So in one day, I got $325 boost in my MRR. One day. What? That has never happened in the history of my product, like ever. So like, did somebody Whoa. tweet it like, added to that thread or like what happened no no one added it to the thread um and I didn't add it to the thread because he was clearly looking for a non-paid solution so it seemed like it wasn't Mm. that he hated my product or it was bad he just wasn't looking for this kind of solution I was offering um Mm -hmm. I don't really know what happened but a whole bunch of people signed up but these (laughs) two things happened on the same day and you don't have anything yeah. conclusively linking them, but it feels suspicious that they wouldn't be linked. It's super weird, right? Yeah. Um, so I am trying to, like, I'm, I'm just really starting to try and get into, like, Google Analytics and understand that. Um, anyway, so that was my point of that story is, like, you know, this is, we're never bored. I'm never bored, right? Like one day I'm like, this thing is miserable. The next day I'm like, I'm the most brilliant person in the world. Like it's never, it's never boring. Um, I guess my point of that story was, (laughs) yeah, it's all over the place. I'm all over the place with, with this product. And um, some days I feel like it's just not, not as good as it should be. Some days I feel like I'm charging too much. And then other days I have, like, I realize I have, there's all this power in this thing I built that no one is utilizing. Um, so that's something I really want to spend some time getting some content out there and spend some time like showing people why it's more powerful than, than, you know, other solutions they've been using. You seem fired up. I am. I, I've just had like, a. it's been like a really good week. I mean, from a work perspective, um, um, and although I didn't get to spend the time, you know, I got, Okay. 
I don't have a lot of time to spend on the product the next month or so. So I'm just taking it in little bits, right? And so this week, it's a tiny thing, but someone pointed out to me. And I think this also plays into psychology. Okay, so my marketing site is built in Tailwind UI. My application site is built off of Bootstrap. Bootstrap and Tailwind are not friends. I can't just throw <laughs> Tailwind into my Bootstrap site. If it makes you feel better, the Geocodio dashboard was on Bootstrap and the Geocodio marketing website was on Tailwind for like a really long time. Like, ye- like year, like we were on the like 2013 version of Bootstrap for like a very <laughs> long time. And it wasn't until like maybe six months or a year ago that we actually got them both on Tailwind. So you're nice. not the only one. <laughs> Okay, so, but back to yours. So this, okay, so if you are on my marketing site and you click through to sign up to get the free trial, here's the thing that happens. The nav bars are different. Mm. Yeah, it's not good. And someone pointed it out to me. They were like, oh, I had to click back and forth a few times to make sure it was still the same application. And I was like, yeah. oh my goodness. And so I can't, but it was like, it was a, so it's just this visual thing but this, he pointed out, he was like, you know, that's, that made me think I was at the wrong place. It made me yeah, want to close the window. Something was wrong or like they accidentally got led off to another site that wasn't the right one. And like, maybe it's like phishing or something like. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what he, this guy said. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so, so my, my simple file upload technical accomplishment this week <laughs> was basically like, and because I can't, the app, my application is pretty complicated. I can't just pull out bootstrap and drop in tailwind that's gonna take me forever so i actually like just stole stole is the wrong word i grabbed some of the tailwind styles and just over you know and overrode my bootstrap styles just for the nav bar so anyway the point is now the nav bars look the same (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it sounds like a small thing but like i think the mental block for if you sign up and i drop you to a totally different site you're like wait what like, yeah, it's like something is like shady. the brain is a little bit like danger. Something is different. Yeah, exactly. So so another so it was another big CSS week for me, um, which is not my forte, but I got it. I, I wrote JavaScript so this week, which is not my forte. <laughs> oh, jack of all trades. Well, uh, we we wrote stuff that that's not our forte and you're going back and forth between feeling like it's amazing and you've built something super powerful and then also feeling like it's really has a long way to go and is it ever going to get there which honestly is how I like I feel the exact same way about my book like every day it's like oh my god this is a hot mess and then I'm like actually this is amazing and I should just publish it now like um I think that's I think that's just like part of building something whether it's a book or you know software I mean yeah and honestly I think it's part of the fun yeah like I honestly do like I it makes it interesting like I've worked jobs that are really boring and they're really boring like this is way more exciting I love about being an entrepreneur is that it's always different and sometimes it's different in ways that are super boring and require a lot of paperwork and sometimes it's different in ways that are like super awesome and um exciting but the fact that it is so different all the time is is what makes it fun and makes me feel like I get to like feel lucky that I get to do this as my job on that note perhaps we should sign off for this week 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or tweet at us. We love hearing what you think about it. Have a good one. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.